Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
My friend, it's been a while We were a team, untroubled and free Yeshiva days, our youthful ways Now but fond old memories 
from time to time they cross my mind what we were you and me along with your wife you run the store helping the needy and the poor yet one thing weighs you down like an anchor below sea Will you ever hear the call of Tati? Diving for me, and I'll dive in for you. I know how I know your pain, I feel it too. So come take my hand, stand beside me, and Hashem will see how I care for you. Here for me, diving for me, and I'll dive in for you. Let's storm the gates of heaven, we will break through. Yes, it's true. Will you dive in for me? Because I'll dive in for you. It's dark and lonely, 
down below. Oh, keep fighting. This is one fight you won't regret. Keep believing. You got what it takes. Now don't forget.
J.M. in the A.M. Carvani done by Naftali Kempa. Michal Przanski's The Letter. That's what he entitles that long, nice medley. Eitan Katz, brand new papa. They had a brand new baby girl yesterday. Mazal tov to the Katz family. Eitan with Lamancha and Kikarov. You get to this time of year, middle of Elul, you start really focusing on some of those incredible and amazing slichos and kumzitz selections from Eitan Katz here at JM in the AM. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. Welcome to a Thursday. It's the final day of August. I know it's hard to believe. Oh, God, do I know it's hard to believe. The final day of August. Those who haven't gone back to school, those who haven't finished their uh, summer vacation, um, they're about to they're about to do both. <laughs> school year is about to begin at some point in the next few days, and um, and a lot of people who've been off over the last week or two, they're going to get their final shot. Uh, today through Monday, a lot of people off already today and taking off through Labor Day Monday. And then it'll be back to a, a quote-unquote regular schedule. Yeah, I know. It's not easy. <laughs> Adjusting from summer to the rest of the year. Although we don't really know that much of a difference. You know, doesn't we don't feel that much of a difference, I should say. Anyway, it's the 31st of August. It is the final day of August. It is the 14th day in the month of Elul, halfway through the month as we get set for the upcoming year that starts um, at two weeks from tomorrow night. Um, Again, yeah, a big Labor Day weekend is coming up. And, ah, so I see. So Rosh Hashanah is Shabbos Sunday, and then Shabbos Shuvah is going to be Parshas Hazinu. You know, makes sense because everything else is on Shabbos, right? So, anyway. Welcome to a Thursday, and thanks for joining us, everybody. Always a delight, always a pleasure to speak with you here at JM in the AM. By the way, those of you who saw my WhatsApp status, uh, those of you who saw the Facebook post, did it make it to Instagram? I'm not sure if it made it to Instagram yet. I'd asked Yoni late last night to make sure that it gets to Instagram, but I don't know if uh, he was able to take care of it yet. Um, let's see. Let's go to the Nahum Siegel Network account on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, there it is. It's in my story. What am I talking about? I'm talking about one of the uh, most... Amazing things that could happen to any home that keeps kosher. Last night, a full box of a delivery from a and <laughs> I'm telling you, look at my Facebook update, my Facebook post, look at the uh, WhatsApp status, look at the Instagram, Nahum Siegel Network, the story in uh, inside the network account on Instagram. Um, yesterday... A box shows up at the Siegel home. I open it up, and it's filled with frozen and freezing ice packs. It is amazing how those things last through entire deliveries and overnight and all that. that it, that's always amazing to me. 
What a system. Anyway, packed really well. A&H, very professional operation. Seth Levitt would not allow anything else other than the utmost professionalism. And I open it up, and there are a couple of packages of hot dogs. Love the A&H hot dogs. We've spoken about them a lot. There are multiple packages. I'm telling you, a stack of packages of Knockwurst, because many of you know that I've just been going nuts about the Knockwurst from A&H. It is so delicious. I mean, you toss one of those into a hot dog bun, cover it with whatever you love um, to eat with your hot dog, whether it's mustard or relish or sauerkraut or ketchup, whatever it might be, and they are so good, so full of flavor and so full. I mean, this knockwurst from A&H is like you're biting into a massive piece of meat. Just so delicious. Absolutely love them. So Seth and his uh, staff, you know, they know I have an affinity toward the, uh, to the, toward the knockwurst. So they sent a stack of knockwurst packages. And then they tossed in a couple of A&H salamis. As Aaron Golden will tell you, there's no better way to upgrade a kiddish than with an A&H salami. Oh, Aaron's probably davening right now, so I don't think he heard that. <laughs> and uh, and there is no way I'm telling you if you if you're one of those people that loves to um, broil up some salami before Shabbos for people to enjoy, you know, Friday afternoon, or you like to make a Hasselback salami, so people will you know just you know grab a little taste of that 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 Arab Shabbos toameh that people love to have. It is so good. Those A and H salamis so delicious. Uh, and then finally, and I said this on the video. More and more people have got to learn that A&H has the most incredible beef kishka. I actually learned this from one of our listeners years ago. The beef kishka from A&H is simply spectacular. And it comes in a package very similar to the salami package, you know, a little bit of a different color. And they tossed in a couple of kishkas, and those are going to be utilized next week when we have a major crowd in our home for Shabbos. And they are so good. So... What can I tell you? It was a regular, normal Wednesday night. In fact, I got home from work really, really late last night. I don't think I walked in until 6.30. Got in really late after being here in the studio from before 5 o'clock yesterday morning. And, you know, it's the end of the day, and the whole thing is that, you know, you know, you know how it is. And I walk in, and Stacy Siegel, and I, 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 no, 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 I walk in, and Stacy eventually got home. And when she gets home, she's like, it sounds like she's pushing a box as she's walking in. And she says, you know how I love opening up packages, but this one I know you're going to love opening, so here it is. And she gives me the box from A&H. So good, so good. And you know what? You know the reminder. The reminder is when you go to your stores, kosher or general supermarket, look for the A&H display. It's not just the items I mentioned. They've got hundreds of items. And, of course, if you go to kosherdogs.net, this is a good time of year, by the way. Go to kosherdogs.net. Yuntif's coming up in a couple of weeks. You have a whole list. Just go to the website. You'll see the whole list of what's available. Go to kosherdogs.net. Uh, save 10% when you use promo code radio. And there you have it. And as I like to say, try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. And there you have it. That's my, that's my report on what turned a regular, normal Wednesday night into a spectacular Wednesday night in the Seagull home. <laughs> it is a jam in the AM Thursday morning broadcast. More coming up if you keep it here at the Nahum Seagull Network. Call you so well. Yeah,
Jam in the AM. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> it does sound like an Arab Shabbos show. It's funny. Maybe because of the um, of the fact that so many people have been telling me that they're off today and tomorrow, starting now for Labor Day weekend. So I'm already thinking it's really ended a week already. But anyway, Yehuda Green with uh, Ame Kadeshe and Vahu. Uh, before that, you heard Zusha and the world to come. Jam and M, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Listener Tikva is tossed in a uh, Boker Tov from 6,000 miles away. Thank you. Klops92 says, good morning, Nahum. Nothing better than commuting to college than starting with JM and the AM and Moda Ani by Regesh. So thank you. Thank you. Chaya says, getting ready for day number two of professional development at Kushner. Bahatzlacha to all teachers starting a new school year. Yes. I'll also toss in a uh, Bahatzlacha to all the teachers that are starting a new school year. A lot of them, uh, lot of them spend the whole summer thinking about and practically preparing uh, for the upcoming year. So day one of school is fast approaching. And uh, here's a message on the app. Good morning. Nice music. Almost Shabbos. Douglas Leader and Moshe Finkelstein. Well, thank you. Thank you, Douglas and Moshe. And thanks to everybody who is enjoying the music during hour number one here at JM in the AM. By the way, tomorrow, Malcolm Honline returns. It's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken to him. In fact, I don't think he's been on since uh, before I went to Israel. He'll join us tomorrow morning, 740 a.m. Eastern time right here at JM in the AM with the weekly update to so make sure to be tuned in. In Israel, one person was killed, five injured, in a terror ramming attack in Maccabim uh, at the Maccabi checkpoint, which is right near Modi'in. So the, um, the challenges of the difficult neighborhood that uh, our brothers and sisters live in in Israel, they continue. Four IDF soldiers are wounded in a uh, Kevrio safe terror explosion that took place. Obviously aimed at uh, wrecking as much havoc as possible. In this case, four injured soldiers. And an Iranian weightlifter has been banned from the sport. Iran has banned a weightlifter who shook an Israeli's hand. Um, yeah, that's what happened. And now you know. Now you have another example, I should say, of uh, who our brothers and sisters are dealing with. More coming up. It's hour number one. It's Thursday. It's JM in the AM.
JM in the AM, it's uh, Shalshelis here, uh, wrapping up hour number one at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com on the NahumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Welcome to a Thursday, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, NahumSingle Network app for Android and iPhone. And comment away. By the way, our friends at ArtScroll are reminding you that there's a lot on their website in the back-to-school category. No joke. Uh, we know there's a lot of material when it comes to uh, preparing for the brand-new year. Elul, Tishrei, etc. But there's a lot of back-to-school that's available at artscroll.com. Uh, whether it be a, uh, a set of uh, Chumash or Navi that's needed, a Tanakh, uh, the Hebrew-only Tanakh, the student and pocket size stone edition Tanakh, uh, Mikros Gedolos, Nevi'im, of course, I mentioned Ramban in a very popular size. Uh, a lot of things under the back to school category, which you'll find at artscroll.com. Also, as we've been telling, and, and don't forget, of course, use promo code radio, obviously. Use promo code radio for the, um, for the major discount and the, um, and the free shipping. Again, promo code radio, major discount, free shipping. Living Amuna volume number seven is brand new. The Zara Shimshon Bracious volume one uh, is brand new. Um, I remind you that the uh, the book that Yisrael Besser just wrote around the year with Reb Milach that we featured here on this show is brand new. Um, these are all recommendations that you may want to consider for the brand new year. Go to artscroll.com, and you know the rule. Always use promo code radio. Again, artscroll.com. Make sure to always use promo code radio. Free shipping, major discount every time you do. Guy, it's on the background. to our news from Israel coming up and plenty more here on a Thursday, plus a full schedule. Yossi Zweig might be doing the live lunch today. We don't have confirmation yet. He was a drop under the weather earlier in the week. But if he does conduct a live lunch, it'll start at 11 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Also tonight, it's Mark Zamek hosting the Arab Shabbos show. If you're going to listen to one radio show each week, I might have to admit, as much as I would love for people to tune into my show every single day, I might have to admit that you'd have to make it the Arab Shabbos show. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Mark curates an incredible collection of music, this time of year, especially with the Haftorahs. Uh, there's so many great songs, so many incredible things that he's playing. So check it out tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JMVM. Galei Tzal, Hashash Time. Shalom Rav, Baul Panehud Graf, in Mashekore Achshav. פיגוע דריסה במחסום מקבים סמוך למודיעין. נקבע מותו של הפצוע אנוש. שלושה לוחמי צהל נפצעו בפיגוע, אחד במצב קשה ושניים במצב קל. שלושה בני אדם נוספים נפצעו באורח קל. ראש הממשלה נתניהו יקיים הערב הערכת מצב עם ראשי מערכת הביטחון. מדווח כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש. המחבל פלסטיני בן 41 שעבד בישראל עם היתר עבודה נכנס הבוקר דרך מעבר חשמונאים לעבודתו. היה הבוקר גם בגדרה ולקח מסעית ישראלית שאינה בבעלותו ושימשה אותו לפיגוע. במחסום מכבים הוא דרס את לוחמי התותחנים שעמדו בצד הדרך ועשו את דרכם לגיבוש צוותי. לאחר שדרס ניסה להימלט למחסום חשמונאים הסמוך 
הכוח ומשם להימלט ליהודה ושומרון, אך מאבטחי משרד הביטחון שזיהו אותו כמחבל ירו בו וחיסלו אותו. באיראן טוענים כי מנעו ניסיון חבלה ישראלית גדול ביותר, כלשונם, בתעשיית הביטחון במדינה. מדווח פרשננו לענייני צבא וביטחון, אמיר בר שלום. משרד ההגנה האיראני טוען היום שהצליח לסכל מזימה ישראלית לפגוע בתעשיית הטילים והחלל. על פי ההודעה, מדובר באספקה של רכיבים פגומים. האיראנים מגדירים את הפרשייה הזאת הניסיון הגדול ביותר של ישראל לפגוע בתשתיות איראניות. המגעים למניעת השביתה בתיכונים ב-1 בספטמבר. הפגישה אותה הגדירו כמכרעת בין שר החינוך יואב קיש ויושב ראש ארגון המורים רן ארז הסתיימה לפני כשעה. עם העדכונים האחרונים כתבתנו לענייני חינוך יובל מילר. בפגישה ניסו הצדדים לקדם פשרות והסכמות באשר להסכם שכר חדש למורים כדי למנוע את השביתה בתיכונים. גורמים המעורים בפרטים אסרו כי כעת משרדי האוצר והחינוך ונציגי ארגון המורים בוחנים דרכי פעולה ומנסים להגיע להסכמות אחרונות כדי למנוע שביתה בתיכונים, אך עדיין לא ברור האם ייחתם היום ההסכם. שר החינוך יואב קיש צפוי להגיע לחדר המצב של משרד החינוך בעוד מספר שעות, שם צפוי לתת הצהרה קצרה לתקשורת. לידיעת הנהגים, הלילה בחצות יעלו מחירי הדלק. מדווח כתבנו לענייני כלכלה, ישראל פישר. מחירי הדלק יעלו הלילה בחצות ב-8 אגורות לליטר בנזין, ל-6 שקלים ו-94 אגורות. העלייה נרשמת אף ששר האוצר בצלאל סמוטריץ' חתם על צו להגדלת סבסוד הדלק באמצעות הפחתת מס הבלו ב-89 אגורות לליטר. ואולם עליית מחירי הנפט בעולם וגם היחלשות השקל בשבועות האחרונים הובילו לעליית מחירי הדלק. אובדן הכנסות המדינה ממיסים בגלל הגדלת הסבסוד מוערך בספטמבר ביותר מ-250 מיליון שקלים. שלוש מדליות לנבחרת ישראל בהתעמלות אומנותית באליפות העולם בוולנסיה, ספרד. איילת זוסמן, המאמנת הראשית של הנבחרת, מספרת לעידן קבלר ולאורי אוזן בגלי צה"ל על הניצחון וההכנות לאולימפיאדה. מה שמאחד את כולנו זה באמת האהבה למקצוע, למה שאנחנו עושות. בסופו של דבר אני חושבת שזה מה שגורם לנו להיות בסוף. למה כל המשחק מתחיל מחדש וגדול? כי התרגילים משתנים, אנחנו עוד לא יודעות אם אנחנו משאירות תרגיל או מחליפות את שני התרגילים, ואנחנו נצטרך באמת לחשוב ולראות. תחזית מזג האוויר תורגש הכבדה בעומסי החום. אלה החדשות שעורכת נועה מיכאלי. Feel. 
להיות צודק, שתדע לראות האור ולמצוא את האמת בתוך החושך הגדול, שתמיד תהיה חזק ותשחק את המשחק, שתישאר צעיר לנצח. J.M. in the A.M. Rami Kleinstein, Sa'ir Lanetzach here at J.M. in the A.M. Before that, the um, Schleimi Gertner selection to open up the 7 o'clock hour. You're My Life is the name of that one here at JM in the AM. Check out our Elo Chesed campaign that we put together in memory of Yankee Meyer. There's already an entire list, an ever-growing list of causes to consider during the early part of this year, or I should say the end of the current year. Go to NahumSiegel.com slash Chesed, NahumSiegel.com slash Chesed. The link for the um, campaign to help Ukrainian Jews is there. Oh, just reminded myself about something else I have to take care of. Um, the link is there, or you could just go to uh, office of chief slash Nahum office of chief slash Nahum. Uh, that's the, uh, the campaign that's being run, uh, for basic necessities, frankly, for, uh, Jews of the Ukraine, our brothers and sisters who need basic necessities for Rosh Hashanah and for Sukkot. chief rabbi's office is taking care of that office of chief rabbi. Dot org slash Nahum. JM in the AM. It's a Thursday morning broadcast. Reminder, Malcolm Holmline tomorrow in hour number two. He's vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll do the weekly update tomorrow right here in hour number two at JM in the AM. Tonight, it's the uh, Mark Zamek-hosted Erev Shabbos show. The Erev Shabbos show starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time. It'll encore at 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Mark Zamek hosts Kedem Sponsors. Uh, in addition to that, they sponsor our uh, Erev Shabbos music mix and the final hour, uh, which tomorrow should be about 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, check it all out starting tonight at 7 p.m. as Mark Zamek hosts the Erev Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, and that all begins tonight here on the Nahum Siegel Network. More coming up. Good morning. It's Thursday at JM in the AM.
Yaeli Greenfeld with that uh, rendition of Alenu here on a JM in the AM Thursday morning. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Got a Mazel Tov wish going out to Pinchas Tzvi Peretsky and Henny Stefanski. They got married last night. Mazel Tov from all of us here at uh, JM in the AM. Also got a note yesterday. Um, I hope this is the song they had in mind. <laughs> I don't want to make the mistake, but uh, I think this is the song they had in mind. I got a note yesterday. Let me just find it for a moment here. Um, where is that note? Here we go. Special request for Thursday morning. Listener David writes, hello, Avrami. Please pass this on to Nahum. I wanted to make a song request for Thursday's show. Uh, in honor of my wife and our wedding anniversary on Thursday. Happy anniversary today to J.A. Mora. We're familiar with J.A. Mora from the NSN app. May we be zocha to gesund bracha and nachas from each other and all our children until 120 and best wishes in your upcoming school year. May it be a smooth and successful year from your loving husband. And thank you, Nachum, for being a part of our family for so many years. I thank you so much for that. Here's the song on a Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. And happy anniversary. prayers echoing painfully the dream in their hearts yet to grow imagine this so many times their dream is a kidney a family of their own offered every tear they have done all there is to do but they know they're not in this alone I know that it's hard to keep waiting So I'll be here with you Holding your hand And together our cries is Our tears will be Just a bit longer 
In a world that feels empty We languish in gallows With only our faith aglow Our silent hopes and whispered prayers Echoing painfully The dream in our hearts yet to grow Imagined it so many times Arachamon, who is a king For that day, a home of our own Home of our own Offered every tear we have Done all there is to do But we know we're not in this alone Baruch Levine, Benny Friedman and company, Vizakaini, Thursday morning broadcast. Thursday morning, JM in the AM. Reminder coming up tonight, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. It will be Mark Zamek hosting the incredible Arab Shabbos show. Brand new and amazing. Ked then presents it. It all happens this coming, uh, well, tonight. It all happens tonight, plus an encore presentation at 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. tomorrow. 
right here on the Nahum Siegel Network with a big thank you to our friends at Kedem. By the way, Jay Booksbaum, the world's most celebrated kosher wine connoisseur, uh, and um, what's the word? <laughs> what do we always call him? He's not just a wine connoisseur. He's a, uh, oh gosh, I'll think of a word. Don't worry. <laughs> Eventually it'll come back. Sommelier, thank you. <laughs> the most celebrated kosher wine sommelier on planet Earth. Uh, he's going to join us on the 11th of September, which is a Monday, I believe, um, here at JMNA. I'm very much looking forward to Jay's visit to our studio pre-Rosh Hashanah and pre-Sukkot. So by David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas HaRav Zevna Vilsavalevi and Zechonishmas Esther Basar Vilsavalevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We find in the Talmud Bavli, Maseches Yuma, Nimtza Hillel Mechaev Esanim, Hillel will make all of the poor responsible. Rebbe Lozu ben Charsum will make all of those who are rich responsible. Yosef will make those responsible who are evil. The commentaries ask, how is it possible to tell an Oni, a poor man who is down, who's just barely keeping his head above water, why aren't you like Hillel? How is it possible to tell the wealthy man who's completely involved in business, why aren't you like Elozer ben Kharsom? And how could you tell the Russia who runs after his desires all day long, why aren't you like Yosef Atzadik? There are many answers, but the great Gaon, Rab Aaron Leib Steinman, said the following, The Shail is not on the Talmud, the Shail is on us. We wonder, how can we bring a proof from Hillel? But in truth, each one of us can withstand the challenge, the Nisayon, and be successful. If only we learn how to understand each and every challenge and to deal with it, we would be successful. The problem is, we give up right away and we don't deal with the Nisayon, with the challenge. If a person would be offered half a day's pay to learn Torah, would we be able to accept it? What did Hillel do? A person should never give up. We should learn from Hillel how never to be misyayish. If there is this challenge, we could consider how can we deal with it. We could see that it's possible to accept the power from Hashem to be miskaber and to be successful. Even today, there are many people who stand in very difficult challenges. If they pursue it with all their heart, they'll be successful. What do they think? That it was easy for Hillel? He had to give the coin to the Shomer, to the guard of the base Medrash. Could a person go hungry to learn Torah? Could he lie down on the skylight in the bitter colds whipping at him, becoming covered with a layer of snow? Not simple. Yet, we see that Hillel was able to stand up to all of the Nisyonos, all of the challenges that met him. Avram Avinu went to do the Akedah, to the sacrificing of Yitzchak. Was it easy? It was his only son, the son that he loves. He went through the river. It was up to his neck. And he still was not Miyayish. He didn't give up. The Satan put the mountain in front of Avram Avinu. He climbed the mountain. Avram Avinu went through the water. Nothing was going to hold him back. And he merited to reach the level of Akedas Yitzchak. 
the sacrificing of Yitzchok. That's why Hillel is Mechai of the Aniyim. Hillel obligates those that are poor. If we have difficulty in understanding, it's not Hillel. The difficulty is ours. We have to realize Hashem gave us the power, the potential to be able to be successful in all the nisyonos of life, the challenges that meet us every day. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. There it is, our Elul Sofer blowing here at JM in the AM. So Slimy Ash has asked me to announce that uh, today Mrs. Rifka Ash is celebrating a birthday. Mrs. Rifka Ash, originally of Vilna and B'nai Brock, presently of Borough Park, a happy birthday from her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. How amazing is that? How many generations of Jews in history have been able to say they had great-grandchildren? Very, very few. That is amazing. And he says here, including the son that's not a doctor or lawyer, the one who they tell people disappeared during the Entebbe raid while trying to get everyone's luggage and carry-ons from another part of the Uganda airport. Yeah, that part I think is not true, uh, but the Shlemy's very convincing, I can tell you that much. More coming up. It is a Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM.
שאני לא עושה קידוש ושלום עליכם זה זמן שלי של שנטי, זמן משפחה שישה ימים של בבילון חנקו לי את הנשמה גם לי היה סבא שלקחתי לבית כנסת שיחקנו סטנגה בחוץ על המרפסת שבת בלי ג'חנון, עכשיו באמת הצחקת בלי לחיים, קצת מחיה, חמין אצל הסבתא אח שלי, עזוב אותך פוליטיקה ובלאגן אני אוהב את הרבנים האלה שבאים לך בפנן עוד בגן מזמן, איך שרנו כולם?
J.M. in the A.M. It is a, a Thursday morning edition that comes from uh, Yaakov Shweki Yishtabach. Before that, Ki Esmer, a brand new from Aaron Razel. Raya Mehemna in there with Sama. Great three songs set here at J.M. in the A.M. We're going to be speaking about a, a company uh, called Bisra Meats. And if you want to go to the website to check it out, they've got a story there. and They have a whole explanation about why they're so different. And it is pretty fascinating. Uh, it's Bisra, B-I-S-R-A, kosher.com. That's Bisra, kosher.com. And you can use the opportunity after our conversation this morning at some point to go to the website and do your own research and see what they're all about. We have two guests in our studio this morning. Uh, Usher Silber is here, and I start with him because he's the one who introduced us uh, to this revolution that's going on with Bisra Meats. He's a partner at GSDJ. And uh, good morning to you, Usher Silver. Good morning. Great to have you here. And we'll explain the whole story coming up in a moment. And Rabbi Avidan Elkin is founder and president of Bistra. Uh, Welcome and thanks for being here this morning at JM&AM. Thanks so much for having us, Nachum. And we should mention, by the way, that Rabbi Elkin, who has roots in New Jersey, I mean, that's quite obvious from our conversation that happened uh, 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 here before we went on the air. But in addition, you have a connection to the beloved city of Mitzpah Yericho. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, the Pilachowski family uh, lives, and uh, Aliza Pilachowski is the mayor of the town of Mitzpah Yericho. And my son happens to be married to Tamima, who uh, spent the last 10 years or so in Mitzpah Yericho. And by the way, the, um, the, the yeshiva that you attended, and your smichas from there, correct? Yeah. Rabbi Sabato, is it? Rabbi Sabato, that's right. We, well, I have heard, and I guess, I guess it's because of my family's association with Mitzpah Yericho over the last few months, I have heard so much about that yeshiva yeah. and how uh, magnetic a place it is for Limud Torah and for, and for really advancing as a person. It, and, uh, and I assume you would agree that its reputation is well-deserved. Uh, absolutely. Rav Sabato uh, really revolutionized the, uh, uh, the world of learning uh, back in his day. Very strong advocate for uh, Bikut, for learning. There's no excuse for not knowing anything. And you got to get into it. You have to, you know, uh, appreciate that there's a Mishnah, Talmud, Tanakh, Midrash, a big advocate of the Zohar Kadosh. And he's attracting people from all over Israel. Absolutely. All right. People from all over the world. Right. Now, how would you, and I, it's funny, I said we're starting with Asher Silver, <laughs> and look at this. I'm with Rabbi Elkin speaking about Israel. How would you as an elementary and high school graduate of New Jersey schools, how would you end up in Mitzvah Yericho? You have time for a story? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a while, huh? Uh, well, I, I uh, spent my last year uh, in college at uh, NYU. I was learning in Morning Seder by Rev. David Feinstein. 
and doing the afternoon and evenings at uh, at NYU, wrapping up. Oh, the so you have a Lower East Side connection as well. As well, as well. And uh, I came to Eretz Israel uh, on a visit, hoping to find yeshiva that would uh, that I could call home. My plan was to stay there and, and not come back. And in speaking to my grandmother about it, Allah Shalom, uh, I discovered that her brother-in-law was a um, a yeshiva day school uh, principal. And it helped Rav Sabato get his accreditation uh, with Mishara Chinuch for the Shiva High School that they have at Mitzberichol. So I got myself on a, on the phone, spoke to him, took a bus past uh, a dead donkey, uh, a couple of camels. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of brown hills. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. I hear the Pelchowskis have spiffed the place up quite a bit since then. <laughs> That's but, uh, true. <laughs> they, they reign supreme and for good reason. But, that is uh, true. Fascinating yeshiva in the middle of a desert and an amazing. Also Rabbi Weiss, who a lot of people remember from Bergen County. That's right. He's also a Mitzvah Had done some time in EMT and in, uh, right. in Kiruv and yeah. Fascinating uh, place, uh, a wonderful collection of families. Uh, amazing amazing. Yeshiva. So you leave there, and then it's back to the U.S. Uh, we were, f- I was five or six years in, and I received my first offer for a uh, shtel, as they say, in uh, in Fairlawn, the uh, Sfardi Center of Fairlawn. Um, I spoke to Rav Sabato, the other band that I was uh, very much in touch with, and they were very strongly encouraging of uh, shlichut, of going out, reaching out to people. Connecting in a way that uh, that's meaningful to them. So it's a uh, Sephardi shul, overwhelmingly Israeli families that had never had a rabbi before, and right. had a whole host of. Um, Are you there till today? Pastoral challenges. I'm not. I recently, unfortunately, participated in a funeral for someone who was nephew was killed in a car accident. But uh, since then, we moved on to. After five years, we ended up in uh, in the city for seven years, in the Upper West Side, and then. Back to Teaneck and Bergenfield about seven years ago. Now, how does all this relate to kosher meat might be the question that people are asking as we've invited two of the main people uh, with Bistra Meats into our studio. And and here and by the way, before anybody draws any conclusions about anything that we're going to be discussing, halakhically, etc., we would advise people to discuss this whole issue with their own rabbi. If they want to pursue any type of change in the way they've generally dealt with kosher meat, they should discuss it with their rabbi, the same way we did. Yeah. Uh, Rav Moshe has a, uh, an amazing and, and very short and concise tshuva on the topic where he's uh, very strongly encouraging. I mean, he wants the practice to continue. He wants this Masorah to be passed on, uh, e- even if at break even, just for the sake of not losing it. Uh, and I think uh, Corona made a very compelling case for that. Whenever there's a, uh, a hiccup in the supply line or whenever there's uh, price spikes, you know, difficulty importing, exporting, uh, the case becomes clear. So, so back to the, the original question. Right. Uh, I was in Chinuch for many years. And uh, like everyone else in Chinuch, you know, it's a, uh, a slow and painful starvation in terms of the Parnassa. <laughs> uh, Quite a way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching As it. we're about to start a new school year, and some people <laughs> might not be regretting <laughs> the decision to stay in Chinuch. So, some of us look forward to the school year a lot more than others, but uh, those on the receiving end of the paychecks, often enough, it's a little more complicated. So, uh, you know, Parnassa was getting difficult. The family was getting bigger. And uh, having done uh, a lot of learning in Eretz Israel, I've done some Shimush uh, by Rav Giat. People had come to the yeshiva and broken down an entire lamb. And it was the first time I'd actually seen nose to tail the entire thing. And you know, we grew up hearing... This happened in Israel? In Eretz Israel. I mean, right. they, uh, they break down the entire lamb, meaning that normally many people in the Ashkenazi community who are listening right now would never have eaten anything on the back half of a lamb. Would that be the right way of putting it? 
they would probably never have eaten from it because it was probably never made available. Right. Because there's so few people who know how to do it, which right. goes back to you know some other historical right. economic And we'll uh, talk about that. Yeah. But, but the reality is that growing up, and I guess I am your prototypical Ashkenazi Jew, growing up, we always had that chart in our heads that we would look at. That yeah, And this is how we were taught. We were taught the front half, and I know it's not exactly half, but you know what right. I mean. Right. The front half of an animal has meat on it that's available for us to eat once it's dealt with properly by the proper rabbi, shochet, etc. And the back half, I guess, is sold to other markets or dealt with a much different way because nothing on the back half of these animals would we ever eat, right? That's essentially how we, meaning as someone like I, grew right. up. Right. The, the famous chart, in fact, it's a, a bit of an animation that uh, came out of commercials, was popularized by none other than Hebrew National. That the front half is kosher, the right. back half is not kosher. Right. It's funny that you know yeah. it's a uh, uh, not. We, exactly. we would always turn to them for the expertise when it comes to <laughs> kosherus. Yet they're right. the ones who popularized it. Interesting, right? Uh, and so, uh, technically speaking, this is a practice that uh, isn't even questioned. Not by the Shulchan Aruch, not by the Ramah. Had been done for thousands of years. And when you say practice, you're talking about preparing the back half of an animal property. Oh, yeah. Was the for, world the world over? Now right. there, there are some items that need to be removed. Right. And you have items like this in the four quarters, too, which right. people are surprised to hear. We're not allowed to eat uh, blood, obviously, so there's a handful of arteries that need to be removed. Right. There are certain membranes that are very heavily uh, irrigated with blood need right. to be removed as well. How, what, what do we call the gidanusha in English? How do you say uh, The sciatic nerve. Sciatic nerve, okay. Yeah, it, it is the nerve that right. innervates the entirety of both legs, has to come out. And that's a biblical commandment not to eat it. 100%. Right. This is uh, the right leg, right. the left leg, and a domesticated animal, uh, undomesticated. And the chelev has to be removed. Chelev is, uh, by and large, the fat uh, along the uh, inside of the spinal column, facing the, the abdomen. Some membranes we take off on the inside of the belly. Um, and it's a little bit of uh, work, the reality of the matter. And this is something I discovered once when I went to a, um, a non-kosher butchery demo after I had learned Nikur and started uh, practicing here. Overwhelmingly, most of it comes out anyway, even in non-kosher practice. Mm, it's not that it's such a revolution. No one's sitting there eating gobs of fat right. you know, with a spoon. Right. So it does They want it to be appealing to the consumer. I mean. It has to be right. presentable and right. you know, otherwise cooks out uh, somewhat greasy. And uh, the sciatic nerve, the hamstring, you know, it's just this tough rubbery nerve that doesn't cook out. It doesn't uh, reduce, won't make stock or gelatin. It just stays like a rubber bend, so no one wants to eat that either. Uh, either they'll remove it or they'll eat around it. But right. the bottom line is that this is something we need to remove. And by and large, everybody removes it. I mean, the tradition right. in uh, kosher butchery, Ashkenaz Fardi, all over the world, was to, to take these things out. No one was making a living right. selling the back half of their animals you know, for peanuts, uh, right. whatever they could recover. And what, what does happen, by the way? I know that you're not a spokesman for those who do toss out the back half of the animal, but what practically does happen when a, when a, you know, a steer, when a, uh, when a cow is, is shechted, is slaughtered here, and, the tr and again, out of habit, the, the uh, processing plant is sending you know, the quote-unquote kosher stuff in one direction and the rest of the stuff in a different direction. Right. So it, it's actually very important what you mentioned, this, the kosher-non-kosher -kosher, uh, distinction. First of all, if the lungs don't check out, it'll go down the non-kosher line, four quarters right. and hind quarters together. And that's, uh, on the Jewish spectrum, that's, that's complete. That's everybody, right? That's the whole spectrum. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's Nobody is going to give a kosher certification when there's injured lugs, let's put it. Well, yeah, if the lungs have adhesions, if right. they're, overwhelmingly it's the lungs that have problems, and it's not at all an uncommon thing. Right. 
Uh, you'll get different answers from different people, but spend some time on the slaughterhouse floor. Uh, you'll hear something like 50, 55, sometimes 60% might come out glot, but it's maybe just a bit more than half. And that's glot. Beit Yosef is a lot more complicated than that. So you end up with a scenario where half the cattle you're shechting aren't scoring glot, and of the ones that you're taking, half of it's going down the non-kosher line yeah. as well. You're looking at somewhere between 70, 75% of the entire product output of a slaughterhouse in a kosher operation that ends up going to the non-kosher market. Uh, so what that does is that it obviously complicates things and slows it down quite a bit, and it uh, it increases the premium of the kosher product from the four quarters it needs to command. That's an understatement. In order to support the entire sure. industry, right. the entire operation. So there's some, you know. People uh, complain about the price of kosher <laughs> meat. You just summed it up in 60 seconds, frankly. Right. And, and it's, it's very unfortunate that most people aren't aware of the realities of it because the, the economics are very compelling. Uh, it really is difficult to sustain a kosher operation. You know, we all heard about what happened at uh, Rubachkin and right. the, the pressure is on the end. No, none of these people are rolling in billions. And the pressure on the industry is such that uh, it, it creates some incentives that uh, that can complicate things from a kosher perspective. And right. also Parenthetically, you might be able to say it about the entire kosher industry, not just me. People think everyone's ro- because of the, the branding out there. People think that people are rolling in money, and it is a really tedious and difficult job and very hard to make money. Yeah. Sourcing is difficult, and if you're going out of the country, the percentages uh, may not be as right. high. Getting quality product is very difficult. You know, uh, corn is uh, is a staple when they're finishing animals to, to score choice and prime on the USDA's grading scale. Uh, in Central and South America, corn is very much a staple of, of the human diet, and so they don't spend as much money feeding them, and then the foreign product is going to be inferior. You're not going to get nice juicy briskets or nice uh, ribeyes. But uh, that's what they're sometimes looking to do. So even the, not only is it expensive, but the quality of the product is often uh, subpar. So yeah. it's true. A lot of people do feel that way about kosher meat if they've had none. And uh, what, what is discarded, or as you described, or what is passed on to the non-Jewish market, the non-kosher market, that is sellable, right? That's that 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 is sold. I assume at market rate, or should I assume because it's sort of secondhand, it has to be sold even less expensive or cheaper. Very astute uh, observations. Uh, it is becoming more and more difficult to unload really? non-kosher product. Well, a lot of places, you have chains like uh, Whole Foods, um, Trader Joe's, I believe, also have these uh, demands of what they call humane treatment or right. humane dispatch of the uh, They the want animals. to be distanced from the way we handle animals. Yes. Right. And what that does, it removes, it, it reduces the market the potential B market that you have to, to slough right. off that product and what you can command for it because the big bucks are being paid by places that by and large are expecting more and more. Uh, you know, the stun, like a captive mm-hmm. bolt, with a, a pneumatic uh, piston on it. So uh, it does become more difficult and less profitable to try to unload that. And the reason that people did it in the first place was because they came to the U.S. and, you know, cattle were so cheap and, and largely raised on grass that it was just easier for them to shecht a lot more. Back then, the non-Jewish market didn't have particular demands, and sure, if it was shechted, nobody cared. They were still sticking them with a knife anyway. Um, and your kosher consumers, and this is a really important point, a very important historical point, your, your kosher consumers back in the day weren't particularly wealthy, right? I mean, the late 1800s, you had... Uh, Hard to afford meat. Yeah, you had German uh, yeah. immigrants. Uh, not all of them owned banks. You know, There were people who had uh, their joys and challenges as well. Uh, early 20th century, already you're talking about some Russian immigrations, the 20s, 30s, and 40s, you get uh, you know, some Lithuanians, some Hungarians. 
all of whom were, were absolutely destitute. Yeah. And they were eating... If they had fish or poultry, it was a... So carp, you know, if they got yeah. uh, gefilte fish, really sure. was a delicacy. Because Correct. Because could afford anything else. If you could afford the odd chicken, you were doing okay. Right. As your economic prospects improved... Uh, you might occasionally buy ground beef or you'd buy these cuts that today people, you know, uh, revel in, but uh, briskets, cheeks, tongues, shanks, things that have to cook forever in order to uh, to reduce and become edible. If you had a steady job and a reasonably good income, you were, uh, you know, poaching the odd rib steak or a hanger steak or a skirt steak. But by the time you had made it and you were eyeing your, your tenderloin, your filet mignon, you know, the, the T-bones and porterhouses, you were probably buying them at Peter Luger because what happened was you were going off what I call this cliff of kosher consumption. Right. When you started out pouring from, right. and you were buying whatever you could afford. <laughs> I was getting, you know, ch- chicken was like a It's a so dream. sad, but it's so <laughs> ironic. Well, so our crowd, you know, remember the stories, right? Sure. Uh, these were, th- this was what the culture was like. Sure. As people came into more and more disposable income, their consumption habits would change. And they wanted better, the, and better meant not kosher. Uh, past a certain point, right. unfortunately it did. I grew up, uh, you know, born 1978, so we grew up drinking Manischewitz, mm-hmm. not because it was tasty or delicious, because sure. that's what there was. And if you were keeping kosher, you knew you were making sacrifices that... Uh, you're not going to have the fine wine of that generation. not going to have the fine wines, you're not going to have any fine cheeses, right. you're not going to have any fine meats, right. you're not going to have much of anything really the market was very limited so this uh, demand for for you know luxury goods in in kosher consumption really started i'm gonna say the late 80s early 90s some some wines started right. to come on the scene of I course it I mean, this is, yeah and and uh, today the, you look this at the show question. has been one of the one of, <laughs> one of the sources that's featured a lot of this these uh, yeah. uh these items in fact and not to get too off topic but you've just described um, really, I don't want to say legitimized because I don't think people people might resent that. But you have just described um, the reason why we see some of the outrageous meat choices and meat prices of today. In other words, regular average people out there find out that there are folks in our community paying, I don't know, $120 for a steak or, you know, getting deliveries at their home from these specialized, you know, specialty meat butchers that are charging, I mean, God knows what, I mean, name their price, right? It could be it could an be arm and a leg. An arm, to say the least. Right. And and they are frustrated by it. They're like, this is what we've become, and this is what's important to everybody. It's fine wine and fine meat, et cetera. But you just described the human nature behind all of this. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I put a lot of the, uh, the onus on the kosher consumer themselves. Sure. It really is something... Uh, crucial to bear in mind they're demanding it supply and demand there's a buffet a kosher buffet at yankee stadium because the consumer is demanding it right otherwise they wouldn't do it and if, and if people are willing to pay the prices they're paying for the product they're getting right you know there's going to be uh there's supply and demand there's going to be a market right. someone's going to meet you in the middle right. uh being aware of other options out there being aware of the fact that you with your consumption habits can move things is really important, and the, and it goes back to the history of Nikur in uh, in North America. It, and, 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 the, and the quick explanation of Nikur is just removing what has to be removed in order for the meat to be kosher. Right, which we tradi- again in the Ashkenazi community traditionally we have not done over the last many decades. We've avoided it. Uh, it sort of reminds me because the word I keep hearing is misora. That right. in the Ashkenazi community we don't have a misora, and therefore we avoid using the back half of an animal, which I totally respect, obviously. And mm-hmm. it's amazing that it took me till this age to actually understand it. But it reminds me sort of 
uh, of the turkey and giraffe situation. You know, there are rabbis who will not eat turkey. They believe there's no Masorah of how to shecht it and whether it is, in fact, you know, shechtable in a kosher manner. So we thank God. I have to love turkey. We thank God, you know, made that adjustment. And we, But there are rabbis even today who won't go near it. With the giraffe thing, what I've always heard, and we've discussed this with Rabbi Slifkin many times, is that sure, giraffe is kosher, has the qualifications to be kosher according to the Torah, but we don't have a Masorah about how to shecht a giraffe. So either we avoid it completely which 99% of people do, or there's 1% of Shochtim out there who have an expertise at it, and people like Rabbi Slifkin then are able to go if right. they can find the giraffe somewhere and actually, and actually shecht it. I, I could shortcut the entire discussion with a much more practical point. First of all, giraffes happen to be massive. Uh, they yeah. have a, a, disagreeable, a, ladder. a disagreeable disposition when right. it comes to being shechted. Uh, most animals prefer not to be, and really? they're very expensive. Right. They, and you have the whole the animal they, rights movement behind well, them. Which is, you know, complicates no, things. No one more. wants Jeffrey the giraffe to be injured. <laughs> so the uh, Rav Sajagon and his uh, Targum, he translated the Torah into Arabic, the spoken Arabic of his time. And he translates by the uh, the eight species of not traditionally domesticated animals, let's say the more wild animals uh, mentioned in the Torah. The Zemer, it appears as Zamer in the Torah because it's on a self pasuk, you know, at the end of a pasuk or atnach, sometimes you, uh, you'll change the, right. the punctuation. The Zemer is an animal that uh, Zemira, you know, like Zemira and Shabbos, you mm-hmm. think about singing. So he translates the Zemer as a uh, giraffa in Arabic, mm-hmm. uh, very unmistakable name. And his explanation to it is that they don't make any sounds. It's called the Zemer because... Lushan Saginar. Lushan Saginar, right, because it doesn't sing. So right. they've discovered, I think it wasn't that many years ago, that uh, their voices, their vocalization is so bass that it carries for miles, but we can't hear It's inaudible right. to us. The giraffe, Other giraffes hear it. Uh, apparently they do. Yeah, I'm sure they fight and they bicker and they have in-laws and they, they figured it out. <laughs> so the giraffe was very commonly consumed in North Africa. In fact, they shechted so many of them, uh, the Muslims and the Jews. What year are we talking about? Oh, I'm talking about this uh, up until uh, two, three hundred years ago. They basically extirpated them from North Africa. So, uh, so how'd they get out of our diet? How'd they get out of our regular, you know, shechting uh, uh, we, we, regimen? We ate them out of... The uh, the availability. No, but at some, at some point, someone market. had to had to bring this into our halachic market that we don't have a misora and we're not sure how to do it and we don't have the expertise, right. etc. So, so the Sfardim never held from such a thing. Ah. It's clear from Rosajigo, and this is an animal that's perfectly kosher to shecht. And in fact, you have about uh, eight to ten feet to do it. You'd really have to be trying right. to miss. You know, yeah, right. the entire from the clavicle up until the uh, the mandible. I mean, it's basically from the uh, the neck. You got a large area. You have quite a bit of margin for error, as right. I like to say. Even the government could probably figure out how to do this. Right. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the idea that there's a tradition that we shouldn't eat it or that there's right. th- the lack of availability. So there were no giraffes in, in Europe right. where it was much easier to say, well, we don't have a tradition. I mean, you didn't have giraffes even if you wanted them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, does that constitute by default a tradition to not eat them or a lack of a tradition on them? If you were living in a place where you had them, you'd be eating from them. Right. Uh, my grandparents came from Morocco, for example. So, you know, if they had giraffe available to them and they had the money to afford it, I'm sure they would have eaten it like anything else. Right. Turkey makes a much more compelling case with the whole discussion about Masorah. If you ever had uh, Rabbi Slifkin on, I mean, sure. I'll tell the story, and it's a fascinating one. There were no turkeys in Europe. They didn't exist. It's a North American bird. It only missed by a few votes to be, by a few votes to be voted the, uh, the national bird oh, of America right. to the, to the bald correct. eagle. Right. So they didn't exist in Europe. People came here and just started eating them. And the questions went back and forth. The husband suffer got involved in this. You know, what exactly is the status of the turkey? You know, is it uh, similar to a chicken? It doesn't look any like a chicken. 
is similar to a chicken? Can they breed with chickens? Is it something that could be mistaken for a chicken? Can we kind of r- roll it in, get it in through the back door and say it's more or less like a chicken? So Chazam Sofer had an interesting uh, chew on that. We said, look, people are already eating them. I guess that constitutes a tradition that we eat turkey now right. because uh, what are you going to do? Um, but it it made it in despite this challenge, and it's one of the most popular birds. I think Israel per capita is the single largest consumer of turkeys on the planet. Wow. It's very interesting. So it's a bird that lends itself to domestication, you know, puts on meat relatively quickly, which segues to another fascinating case, which is Ramos's case for uh, for the hindquarters. You know, you not being able to afford a tenderloin doesn't constitute a tradition not to eat it. Right. If people couldn't afford it, if there were villages in Europe where people were so poor that lots of the choicest meat on a carcass happens to be on the hindquarters, and for them it was easier to sell that to the non-Jews who were actually happy to pay for it because they could afford it, whereas the poor Jews couldn't, does that constitute a tradition? Does that constitute a custom? Is it a minhag? And Rav Moshe very emphatically says, no, Kikniot on Pesach. You don't want to eat them. But you know that they're kosher. You know that the Gemara itself, the Chazal, ate them. You know it's not chametz. You know it's not chametz. It's a Dabar Shanagobo Isir because you know that it's permissible, but you choose customarily to avoid it. Right. And it constitutes maybe and some, this some is form, or is not comparable some to that. form of a netter. Rav Moshe makes the case very emphatically that it's not. That it's not like that. It's not. He said, we ate it in Russia. Right. You could afford it. You could get it. If you had a competent monarchy, you could go ahead and eat from it. Now, there's right. no reason we shouldn't. So you're very familiar, and boy, are we off track a little bit, but <laughs> and taking a lot longer than I thought, but you're very familiar with the Ashkenazic rabbinate, obviously. You're a Jersey boy, likely educated for first 20 years of your life by Ashkenazi rabbis, right? By and large. And, and even when you served as a Sephardi rabbi of a Sephardi congregation, you probably interacted a lot with local rabbis who are very involved in kashras. For sure. If someone's listening to this show, and we do recommend that, you know, because of this leap, you know, even though it doesn't seem like much of a leap, that they speak to their rabbi before, you know, embarking on, you know, on, on eating the back half of an animal that, you know, an expert like yourself has has you know how do we say Dunnikor and all that in English has Trebert has Trebert Yiddish I don't know it's English but yeah (laughs) has Trebert um would would those rabbis um because of this attitude that you just described recommend that people should avoid it anyway here's a couple of interesting points to note number one we have some uh very happy customers uh, at some of the larger kashras organizations, <laughs> the 14th floor at the OU building. I mean, thank God there are babes that have already, you know, purchased and, and enjoyed and, and recommended uh, further. Are you serious? Right. Uh, yes. Because the rumor is that major kashras organizations in this country would stay away from this. That's not true. Right. Maybe we can do this conversation uh, off the air as well. Right. But, uh, no, they enjoy it on like a weekly basis. <laughs> wow. We, we live in a very funny and interesting world. The reality of the matter is, and I sent you an article, I believe, also from... Um, uh, yeah. Rabbi uh, Zivitovsky. I saw that, yeah. Not not the big deal people make of it. Many Rabbeim understand this, understanding the, the intricacies of the halacha, what constitutes a minhag, what's mutter, what's asr, dorat, and darabonon. For them, uh, they understand much better than your average uh, Joe off the street who just, you know, saw the Hebrew national commercials and assumed that. Right. Now, there are Rabbeim in the Ashkenaz community who, who prefer that it not be done for... for Because they're worried that there's not enough expertise in the area. They're not, not, not enough use... I don't know people like you right. in the they, industry. They may be worried that uh, you know, people would cut corners, right. that they would, uh, wouldn't do it uh, competently, right. which I understand. And, and my approach to this is always we, the only way to solve these problems is with knowledge, right. you know, with, with demonstration yeah, and explanation. I, uh, I would also point out, and it's something very important. To I mean, crazy comparison. Crazy comparison. But you know what it, what, what it strikes me as? 
we're told blatantly avoid going on Tahara Bayat, right? Like that's right. the, it's a blanket rule. You can't go on Tahara Bayat. Right. When, when we know, we discussed this here for 30 years on this show, when we know that there are halachically approved places on Harabayit yeah. that everyone agrees you could walk on, but people are so afraid of what might happen after that that they ask you. Now, I know that that's a Doraisa, and that's, you know, but these well, are also Doraisas. Chalev is Doraisa as well. Right. Uh, so, so, so it would be the case for Zara, someone tell me entering certain places in Harabayit. If you've ever spoken to a Yishai Fleischer, uh, yeah, so whose names we dropped earlier in the conversation, <laughs> yes. you'll know that uh, it's it's not just the... Isser Veheter aspect of it is Mutter is an Asser, but there's the supply and demand concept right. where if we didn't go to Harabai, we didn't go to Hebron. Consumer driven. Consumer driven. And now you're hoping that Bisra is going to create a consumer, although, frankly, your colleagues have already done this. Right. You have people, I mean, obviously not doing what you're doing, they're not selling the parts of the animal that you are. But, I mean, we, we've gotten to a point, as you pointed out earlier, in the Jewish consumer world where people are just off the charts in terms of the types of meat they want to try and what they want to bring into their home. The consumers will, will change the market. Right. So if you want to go to Kevarachel, if you want to go Correct. to uh, uh, you know, right. if we don't continue going, if we don't continue forcing the government to make it safe sure. and to make it available, it wouldn't be. The last note I wanted to make on yep, that sorry. was that there's a really good chance that you're already eating Trabert meat, even if you're only buying OU, uh, Star K, CRC, And you're saying that because? I'm saying this because many of us don't know that there are cuts that have chaliv on them that are still being removed by these same organizations. In the quote-unquote first half. Yeah. The front half of the animal, right. The hanger but steak, the same chaliv requirements. The hanger steak would be an excellent example of that. It is absolutely covered in chaliv on all sides. It's the crura, is the name of this muscle in Latin. It's the one that retracts the... Uh, the diaphragm and creates a vacuum that causes the lungs to fill with air. So it's the muscle. You have the the skirt steak, which tensions the diaphragm evenly all around, and you have the crura that's on the spine, uh, just behind the uh, the end of the lungs and the heart that pulls back. But because it's sitting behind the diaphragm, in order to be able to pull it, it has to be behind it. It's covered in chaliv. If you ever had a, a hanger steak, and I imagine you sure. may have, the hanger steak. Don't underestimate me. <laughs> of course I have. <laughs> I imagine from time to time you've dabbled. So the hanger steak has chaliv on both sides that has to be removed. So it's removed. I'm not saying people are doing it in right. They've been doing it for, for thousands of years. Who does tray for Bistra? Uh, I myself, I have a slew of, uh, oh, of Talmudim. Oh, so you have experts. You have yeah, people have, who are experts. I have Talmudim. I have no, but meaning the I fear that, that some rabbinic leaders have that amateurs are doing this task, which is such an important Dalraisa right. task, that's not the case. You're educating no, people how no. to do this properly. And you're going through stacks and stacks and stacks of, of muscles. You know, you really need to train a lot in order to get it. It's not impossible. It's not that difficult. Once you get the hang of it, you right. understand what you're, what you're being careful for. The hanger steak has chaliv on it. The skirt steak has to have uh, membrane removed from it because it's uh, the peritoneum that basically faces the uh, the abdominal fats in the back. Intestines, kishka, used to be able to get, I used to be able to get them up until about seven or eight years ago with an OU. So the intestines themselves are part of the back. If you could get it, you could get the uh, oxtail, which has some chaliv on the front of it because that's where it's attached to the, I mean, the rectum, but right. that's the, the exit from the pelvic uh, cavity. Um, you have the liver which has some chaliv on it as well. It has to be removed. There was a whole scandal regarding that late 80s, early 90s, that the community in the greater New York area decided that they wouldn't be teaching nicker anywhere, wouldn't be teaching anything about chaliv, and didn't realize that there was chaliv that had to be removed from some of these cuts, and it wasn't being done. And they, they just knew that they were traditionally consumed. These are cuts that got an exemption. They, they got grandfathered in because they were traditionally inexpensive, but tasty. Right. 
They so, needed it to feed people. But it was one of those mid-range steaks, the hanger steak or the skirt steak that, you know, a little bit tougher than, let's say, the ribeye or the tenderloin. But we know that we eat them. It's a Yiddish thing to do, of course. It's one of those cuts that if you don't mind doing the work, there's a gem of a steak under it. And that's why that practice persisted. Right. So it's not like we're not doing right. meat, or it's just that we're doing it on certain cuts. If the most expensive steaks in the world are coming from the back half of an animal, and I would assume that that's accurate, are they, in fact, so much more delicious and so much better tasting than, than the steaks we, as an Ashkenazi community, are used to? Generally speaking, more tender. And the muscles of the back half are larger and more uninterrupted. They're not transected by uh, 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 connective tissues. The hanger steak so is a So more of a buttery, tendon. as they always say, buttery type. Yeah, well, uh, you know, <laughs> le- less rubbery bits, right. less silver skin. There's uh, Like butter is the... <laughs> pretty much, especially if it's aged. There, there's an archaeological fact that wherever they find the bones from the hindquarters is where they associate aristocracy right. you know higher you could tell how how sure. fancy or less fancy an ancient sure. neighborhood was by the bones that you find buried there this is true even of north america with the native right. americans with their archaeological digs and they'll see that the four quarter bones appear in the what's probably the poor areas of the settlement where we had somebody in this studio who used to shecht for for one of the crown princes in the middle east i think it was saudi arabia mm-hmm. and if, again obviously the majority of the diet was the parts of the meat that you're describing you know Parts of the animals that you so, described. Someone figured it out. <laughs> By the way, well, just they're because... also from Sephardic origins. So they, right. You know, and now, a well, half hour later, I get to introduce Usher Silver <laughs> and everybody who's here. will explain why he's here in a minute. I mean, most people don't really care about what I have to say. <laughs> Elkin is the Elkin expert. dominates. I mean, he's been doing it for who knows how long. He's built such a loyal following. Um, and by the way, a large percentage of the customers of Bisra are Ashkenazi, which is overwhelming. Which is yeah, which is very interesting. But so what? Um, what I'm doing is unnecessary to encourage them to speak to their rabbis, or like, oh, they well, should. They should. Halavai. Everybody wins when we have conversations. Right. Everybody wins when we learn. Uh, we do demonstrations. Uh, sometimes it coincides with Dafyomi, with the Parsha, right. with whatever. Uh, high schools, uh, the YU Smicha boys I take out almost every year. I mean, it's uh, pe- people should be discussing and conversing and learning, absolutely. I, mean, I wouldn't tell anybody to do anything blindly. Uh, but there but are you would never say answers. to somebody who innocently ate your product, you would never say to them, you know, panic, you, you got to go speak to your rabbi. You would say you're eating kosher no. food, and that's the end of it. You're eating food as kosher as it's right. been for thousands of years. It's, uh, this is the tradition. It's not, not, a kidney, it's not a kidney situation. No, no. even that's just a custom. No, understood, I mean, right. but if someone but, walked up to you, and, and innocently, you know, had kidneys on their hand on Pesach, you would say to them, warning, you're an Ashkenazi, you really shouldn't eat that. Right. That's Tradition, not the case here. Interestingly enough, is you know, uh, a bit of a movement in Eretz Israel. Of course. Now that, that look, we've yeah. always said that now the majority of Jews are in Israel, and the majority of Jews in Israel are Sephardi, we should, yeah. we should all be eating kidneys. But, uh, ra- but, but my efforts in this area haven't <laughs> gone too far. <laughs> but it, it raises uh, other fascinating questions. We talked about the turkey before, right. having been introduced from North America. I mean, Peanuts and corn were discovered in the Western Hemisphere. So how, how that, that got happen? included and, and their derivative products, right. you know, it's not so simple. But They were on the same order form right. <laughs> as all the other stuff. The, 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 the rice right. on the same right. purchase right. order. I, I, guess. I interrupted you, Ashra. I'm sorry. What I was going to say was a lot of people have that mindset that just because you're dealing with the hindquarter, you're only getting premium cuts like okay. the filet mignon, porterhouse, T-bone. There are some far superior cuts like the flank steaks the flap steaks the pave that compare to the skirt steaks to the london broils that you would get in the front quarter that are not those very expensive cuts that are those affordable prices your point being that in that section of the animal there's still affordable items right 
Now, I mean, we introduced you as a partner at GSDJ, and the reason that's important is because it's that company that I assume discovered Bistro Meats, right? Uh, yeah, uh, we, we're just a, a partner. Right. Yeah, we're uh, a group uh, of partners it's that a just It's a financial invest. arrangement. Yeah, we're, we have but, a... But it's obvious from, from you know, meeting you in the, in the circumstances that we did that you... You're passionate about this. Yeah, we have a, a couple of partners that are really into food, and it was a passion project. We invest in a number of different companies, and two of our two of our partners were customers of Rabbi, Rabbi Elkin for a, a long time, and um, and we're very. That's quite a way to get an investor. Start with them as your customer. <laughs> yeah, it's and compelling, then, <laughs> and they just get addicted to it, and they want to. They got to come back for more, <laughs> or in this case, become a partner and have even more access right. to yeah. what you're doing. The, the appetite comes as you eat. They say in French. Yeah, hundred percent. And and this is, I mean, your company generally goes to high end items, or it could be any type of investment. Uh, no, we're we're all over the place. All over. So yeah. it's not just because this is a high end thing. It's something that you think will be successful. That's all. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Um, and how's Bistro Meats doing since this whole arrangement started? Are it's, we are we happy? It's been it's been <laughs> overwhelming and yeah, it's been crazy. It's been lights out. Way <laughs> way better than we expected. I always wonder what my grandparents would say to that. <laughs> that this is going so well. It's, it's or, been growing. Or, like crazy. or as a as an Orthodox Jewish philosopher said to me when he walked into into a Judaica store, he said, Wow, Jews have a lot of disposable <laughs> Right. And, right, but you're, you know, and you're dependent on disposable income. But but food yeah. is a bit different because we, we are told to adorn our Shabbos Nyantav tables with, you know, delicious and right. proper food. Even poor people try to upgrade what they do, you know, in honor of... For sure, uh, for sure. But it, it, it does tie back into what we said earlier about the, uh, the economically compelling reasons for it, right. which are that if people are... If we take pressure off of the same cuts everyone's looking for or consuming already, uh, the, the prices come down. When people have alternatives, the prices for any particular item are going to come down. So if the only steaks I can get are skirt steaks and rib steaks, people are just going to put pressure on them and drive them through the roof. And mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned before, some of these prices are pretty outrageous. When you have more product available to you, and it's not all premium steaks, you can grind some of it, you can you know, skewer meat, pepper steaks, etc. What you're doing is you're, you're doubling the output of the kosher slaughterhouse, yep. and you're also diversifying the demand for these different cuts Relieving the pressure on a lot of them. Which so in a way, down. it's helping the price structure. For sure. In a way. For sure. Uh, that or at least... Well, the filet mignon is still going to be sold at an outrageous price. Oh, my God. But it's so it good. Has to be. <laughs> but it may cause other parts, as you described, of the animal to be sold oh. at a more reasonable you're, price. You're eating one or the other. So if it takes pressure off of rib steaks and the price comes down, who's complaining? Yeah. Even no. if, even if, and that's the point. <clears throat> even if you're not buying from it or eating from it yourself, you still want it and need it to be there and to grow. And we right. have a lot of support, both from OU and from uh, Star K, and I'll drop the uh, the names of the institutions at least for now. We have a lot of support. They all want this to work. They all want this to Because everyone benefits in the long they, run. They all want, exactly, because it would, it would take a lot of pressure off of the slaughterhouses that are currently under their supervision, right. the catering, the restaurants. Uh, there's another tremendous mitzvah to all this, which is that a lot of the people who went off that cliff of kosher consumption right. can be brought back. 100%. Like they did with kosher wine, by the way. Yeah. A yeah. lot of people who unfortunately caved into their Yetzirah and moved to non-kosher wines are now discovering that both here and in Israel is plenty available. That's great, yeah. high-quality kosher wines. There, there is no longer such a compelling reason to, right. to cross that line in order to get at something that you can't get kosher, which really should be our job as Rebbeim. Right. And I feel like we dropped the ball there big time. Very we, interesting. We need to roll up our sleeves. We need to make things available. We need to stop making choices for people. 
and allow people to choose for themselves. My job is to make it kosher. Right. But you want to buy what you want to eat, what you want to deck your table with on Shabbos, what you want to drink with your buddies, that's totally up to you. My job is to get out there, roll up my sleeves, get my hands dirty, make sure we can get it kosher. Right. Make sure we can make it available, make sure that we can keep as many people in the fold as we can. Halavai even like Avram Avinu, where you're convincing people with right. the quality of your food and your drink, right. there is no reason for you not to be here. Thank the God who made this. We could be eating grass like cattle, but right. he gave us this. Hey, diversity. it's no secret that there are people in the non-Jewish world who, who seek kosher products in general, thinking, and in most cases, rightfully so, that it's higher quality. What, what was the name of that girl? She was the, she, she was the executive producer of E! News, right? Oh, yeah. Like two weeks ago, she From called my... us out of nowhere. Non-Jewish lady... She's the executive producer of a show that has, what, 20, 25 million followers on Instagram? It's a lady from MSNBC? Yeah, yeah, something like that. And she she tracked us down because we we also have lamb and stuff like that, right. especially right before Rosh Hashanah. And she wanted to buy a rack of lamb and lamb chops and all this stuff and filet mignon. And she called us up and she said, I wanted to buy specifically kosher. We have the grass-fed, uh, gra- grass-finished lamb. I need it to get get it from you. And she came down came, to Hackensack. Came, came in we- wearing a big crucifix. <laughs> but, uh, so we, you don't know if that's for guests that she's having or she just wants higher quality meat or both. Who knows? Hey, you know what? But if as you said. Contributed something if right. there was one it can only Jew be there who thing. was eating kosher. 100%. It can only be a good thing. Yeah. Um, if one, first of all, I'm go- I have no choice. My management is going to <laughs> be very insistent. I will tell everybody in the Ashkenazi community, before you explore all this, you may want to speak with your rabbi, and it seems you have zero problem with that. So, 100%. so there's my disclaimer, and anybody who contacts me later today, I stand behind it. The other thing is that uh, I went to your website. Some of the stuff is sold out. I mean, certain things, are are they unavailable like at this time of year or just as supplies grow a little dry? What, what happens we're, here? We're always, especially at this time of year, we're always struggling to stay ahead of the inventory curve wow. where people put in their orders for Rosh Hashanah already a month into in advance. And uh, they know that they're up against, you know, pressure from all the other producers. And, so it's uh, hard to keep up in this industry. It's hard to keep up. Uh, you know, we, we get what we can. Sometimes we get shorted because the lungs didn't check out. Right now, right. we're very careful about uh, Beit Yosef, which is uh, even more difficult to get than Glant. Um, but we have a diversity. So if we don't have this, we have that. I mean, that's bringing things back to old school butchery where there's only so many muscles on the carcass. There's only so much you can do with given cuts. Our job is to make whatever we can available or to advise you of alternatives where they exist and try to keep the, uh, the consumption on an even keel because that's just inventory management. We don't. We can't check the hundred cattle just for the tenderloins and figure out what to do with the rest. That wouldn't fly. I understand not a, that. Not a business Boy. model. Amazing. Um, Rabbi Avidan Elkin is the founder and president of Bisra Meats. Usher Solber is a partner at GSDJ, as you heard. Uh, they are, I guess, what could be called a major investor in this entire pursuit. Information about all of this. You can read all about it. You can check out Rabbi Elkin and his incredible qualifications. It's undeniable that you're certainly very thorough when it comes to this area, to say the least. And um, uh, all of this at BisraKosher.com. BisraKosher.com. You can also check out what they have for sale. Uh, Again, take our recommendations. Speak to your rabbi about the... uh, about the uh, practice of incorporating things into your diet that you may not have had uh, since birth because of our traditions in certain ways and um, uh, let them know about some of the things Rabbi Elkin said today and I'm sure it'll be a very interesting uh, discussion. Bis- ha- happy to speak to Rabbeim as well. We get a lot right. of rabbinic inquiries and I'm happy if they reach you out. You should do tours. Place. You should go into every shul if invited. You should go to all these shuls and just we, we just did something in Queens where he literally broke down a, a lamb in front of like the a, entire a yeah, <laughs> in front of the entire call. That's one way to educate consumers. Yeah. 
it's say the least. very easy to understand when you see it. Yeah. Bisracosher.com. B-I-S-R-A kosher.com. Check it out. And I thank both of you very much for being here and uh, continued good luck. Thank Many you. Thanks, though. What Appreciate a fascinating it. conversation, to say the least. More coming up. It is a Thursday morning edition of JM and the AM. Tomorrow on this program, Malcolm Holine in hour number two, 7.40 a.m. tomorrow morning for our weekly update right here at JM and the AM.
Yaakov Shweki, Itzi Waldner together. That was Tzfila Sashla. Before that, the uh, Ari Goldwag selection here at JM in the AM. Thursday morning broadcast tonight, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Mark Zamek hosts the Air of Shabbos show. It's coming up tonight, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, encore presentations at uh, 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow, right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, thanks to our friends at Kedem. They not only bring you and sponsor the Erev Shabbos show, but also the Erev Shabbos music mix, the final hour, which will be on about 6 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow, and plenty more. So a big thank you to our friends at Kedem. Jay Booksbound, by the way, the world's most celebrated kosher wine sommelier, is going to be visiting us on the 11th of September, that Monday. It's for a little pre-Rosh Hashanah, pre sukkis wine discussion here at JM and the AM. Big shout out to my friends at A&H. Got an, those of you who saw my Facebook um, update and my um, WhatsApp story and the, the network story on Instagram, uh, you're aware of the fact already that we got this amazing, amazing package yesterday from our friends at A&H with uh, delicious hot dogs, an incredible stack of knockwurst. Oh, my God, so many packages of knockwurst, which are so good. You haven't tried them yet. You got to try them. A uh, couple of salamis, a couple of their beef kishka, which is an, an amazing item. Uh, big thank you to our friends at AH. Go to kosherdogs.net, kosherdogs.net. Take a 10% discount with promo code radio. And to try AH today, as we always say, you'll be glad you did, to say the least. JM and the AM with a reminder that tomorrow Malcolm Holmline is back. Our uh, weekly update takes place tomorrow morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Uh, make sure to be tuned in. We'll review a whole bunch of stuff that's happened over the last couple of weeks. It's all tomorrow morning right here at JM and the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Uh, Thursday morning broadcast with Kaveh Dunbashel Shellis Jr. Shlomo Lippman with Anani Mugging. That was uh, your Achmiel Begun, the Miami Boys Choir, here on a Thursday morning broadcast. Uh, Yussi's Y scheduled to do a live lunch starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time right here on NSN. Make sure to be tuned in for that. Uh, we'll close out the broadcast with Mayor Yisrael. Song is called Shira Kayam at J.M. in the A.M. Sim, sim, 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com on the NahumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Thursday for us here at JM in the AM. Tomorrow morning, we're back starting at 6 a.m. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, scheduled for hour number two tomorrow here at JM in the AM. And plenty more, of course. Mark Zomik with the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That happens tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here. Encore presentations, 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. tomorrow here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure to be tuned in for that. And yes, he's wise, scheduled to do a live lunch, 11 a.m. Eastern Time today, right here on NSN. Have a fabulous Thursday. Till tomorrow, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.